Well, in our modern world, being authentic to yourself has really risen in importance. How you feel is to be who you are and you're to be authentic to yourself. This is a phrase that you will hear people talking about, being authentic to myself. Now, if you're a Christian, though, what does it mean to live an authentic Christian life? What is an authentic Christian life? That's what we're going to be looking at today in, these, uh, in this section of the book of James. And it's important that we do live authentic Christian lives because when we don't, we, we bring slander to God's name. When people don't live authentic Christian lives, the world has reasons to complain against Christianity. So today as we look at this, if you're a Christian, you're going to be seeing what is an authentic Christian life. And if you're not a Christian and you've been brought along here today, hopefully you'll see what it means to be a Christian, what's involved in being a Christian, what's at the heart of the Christian life. And I'm going to try to make today to be very practical and so hopefully you would have received a sheet as you came in and we'll briefly look at that and then we will, uh, that, that will be part of the practical things that you can take home today. Now that this is uh, written by James who's the brother of Jesus. It's James who's the brother of Jesus. And what's interesting is if, if you look at chapter 2, Verse 2, it says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. The word for meeting there is actually the word synagogue. And that's the type of thing we see in the book of Acts where the apostles would go to synagogues first. So this is a very, very early Christian letter. And we'll see later on that it seems to be written to... Christians in a synagogue where not everyone believes in Jesus. There are some Jews within this synagogue or God-fearing Gentiles who will slander the name of Jesus in this synagogue. So it's sort of a different situation to what we might find in our church. But that's who it is. It's the brother of Jesus continuing the ministry of Jesus by teaching in the Jewish synagogues in the same way that Jesus did. So what's the first thing that he tells us? The first thing he tells us is that we need to be good listeners. We need to be good listeners. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So literally it's saying, the anger of man does not... <clears throat> excuse me. Just jumped ahead of myself there. Now, when we read a verse like this about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become anger, we actually see great wisdom here, the type of wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs of how to have good relationships with those around us and how to succeed. So we're to be quick to listen as Christians, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, there's a progression between those, isn't there? If you don't listen to people, if you're quick to speak before you've listened, you'll end up with a lot more arguments. You'll end up with a lot more anger around you. And what I'd like to do 
just very briefly, is I want to I want to draw your attention to this chart that I've given you. Hopefully everyone's got one of these. And this is part of the training that I've given on the university campus over the years about how to be a good listener. I'm just going to touch on this today because I've got almost two chapters to do in half an hour. And so I'm just going to touch on this. And I wanted to say something about listening, a few points. My points are this, that listening is a deliberate choice that we make. Listening is a deliberate choice. Not only that, it's a skill that you need to learn. See, you can hear sounds. Just being human means that you can hear a bird sing. You can hear a car's horn honk. But that doesn't mean that you're listening. Do you see the difference between hearing something and actually listening to somebody? There's a difference, isn't there? Listening is actually a skill that you need to learn. And for good or for ill, we learn from our families. And you may have grown up in a family where good listening was encouraged, or you may have grown up in a family where listening wasn't encouraged. The parents didn't understand this. And so that this is part of the families that we come from. So you actually need to reflect upon your own experience of growing up and your own experience as parents as, as to, to how you're teaching your children to listen. And so if you actually have young children, these are some points that you can work through with them. This is what I worked through with my children to make sure they knew how to listen. So I'm just going to very briefly go over these things. If you want to be a good listener, you have to give somebody attention and have a genuine interest in them. That's what you need to do. When the time comes to listen, you've got to say, actually, I've got to be interested in this person. I want to listen to what they've got to say. You need to make time for this. You need to encourage them to talk. Ask for questions of explanation. You know, tell me more about this. How did it make you feel? Is this what you're saying? Reflect back to them. You need to be self-aware. Again, I'm doing this really quick. I would normally do this in a one-hour session. But you need to be, be self-aware as a listener. You need to, uh, there's a couple of ways of being self-aware as, as what type of listener you are. One is to, to think about it yourself, to think, am I asking people questions or am I just wanting to talk at them? And so you need, to, you need to sort of hop out of yourself and go, you know, how am I participating in this conversation? And a helpful way of doing this is actually to observe the conversation of others when people are talking. And just go there and say, I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to watch these people have a conversation. And what does it look like? Is this person just ranting at that person? Because that often happens, doesn't it? We think we're having a conversation when we're really just ranting at someone. And so I've given you a few tips here. This is what I've said to my children, that they should always ask three questions of the other person before they want to say something about themselves. And that, that's not a bad general rule to, to do. You can, uh, afterwards, you, can, uh, you, know, you want to review your conversation. You can even ask others how you, um, what type of listener you are. I was asking my wife the other day, I, had to do a, a, I was thinking about my own strengths and weaknesses, and so I said to my wife, what are some of my weaknesses? And at first she goes, oh, mm. and then she goes, oh, and she started to think about them. And, and she kept coming back. She kept coming back later in the day. I've thought of another one. And, and I was like, okay, all right. But, 
So you need to do that with, you need, you need to do that. You need to say, do I rant? When I was younger, I used to rant at people because that was the family context I came from. And I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't know any better. Now, I've given you a whole lot of things to, say, to look at here. For the sake of time, I can't go through it more, but they're fairly self-explanatory. If you're a parent, you can use this with your kids. And, but, but I think all of us need to, to improve our listening. He says this, though, not just so that we can have good relationships with each other. Look at verse 20. There's a reason why we've got to be good listeners, and that is for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That is, the anger of man doesn't bring about and do the work that God wants. It's not the work of God in our life. So it, it, it's not just that he wants us to be better at listening to each other. It's actually he wants us to have a holy and righteous life. And so he's telling us how to do that. Now, why is it that listening is so central to the Christian life? Well, it's because the chief person we're to listen to is God himself. That's the chief person we've got to listen to. You have to be a good listener to be a Christian. Because it's all about listening to God, the God who speaks. You see, God, our God, is the God who has spoken to us. He's different to the idols of the world. He's different to the imaginations of people who make up their own God for themselves. Our God speaks. And this is what the Bible is. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And so we're to listen to our God. Okay? We're to listen to our God. This is why we've got to be people who listen. We've got to listen to each other. But we have to listen to God. And that's what he goes on to say. Look at verse uh, 21. Chapter, not, chapter 1, verse 21. He says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil uh, that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You, you see the word that he's talking about here? Now, the word that is planted in you that can save you, that's a way of talking about the message of Jesus, the gospel. And he's saying here, Get rid of all moral filth, the evil that's around and listen to the word of God. Accept it. You've got to accept what God has said. Now, in any relationship, if it's between, say, a husband and a wife and there's difficulty, the number one thing that needs to happen after you've listened to each other is to accept what's being said. And that's what he's saying here. God has spoken. You've heard the gospel but you need to go on and accept what God is saying. And so he says here, humbly accept the word that's been planted in you. And this is how we humble ourselves before God. Maybe someone has said to you, humble yourself, be a humble person. What does it mean in practice? Well, one aspect of being humble is that when God speaks, you accept what he says. That's one aspect of being humble. And this is an aspect of the Christian life, that you accept what God says to you. Now, what is it that God has spoken to us? Maybe you're not a Christian today. What is it that you need to accept 
about God? What is it that you need to accept that God has spoken? Well, the first thing is that God is your creator, that God made you, that God gives you life, and therefore God is worthy to be worshipped. That's the first thing we've got to accept. Something that comes after that is that not only did God give us life, but God will hold us accountable for our life. We need to accept that God is our judge. God made us. God gives us life. God is the powerful God. He's also the judge to whom we will give an account of our lives. We need to accept that we have sinned against God. We're not to go making excuses and saying, well, it, you know, everyone does it or it doesn't really matter or it just happened in the past and it doesn't matter anymore. No, we've sinned against God and we need to accept this. This is integral to becoming a Christian, to accepting that you've sinned against God. We need to accept that Jesus came to do what we have failed to do. He lived that perfect life, giving glory to God. He died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the one who has done what we have failed to do. God has done for us what we cannot do ourselves. We need to accept that. We need to accept it. And now... We need to accept that the time has come to call Jesus Lord, to obey God. The Christian life is about obedience. It's about obedience. It's about, I'm no longer God. I'm no longer just doing whatever I want to do. I'm now going to live for God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to listen and accept what he says. You see, this is the authentic Christian life. Now, that's the first point that, uh, sorry, this is the second point that James brings up here. We've got to be people who listen and people accept uh, uh, what, God has, what God says to us. Now, I want to ask you, have you done this? Have you accepted the gospel? Because you may have heard it. You may have heard it just like a, a car honking its horn. You, you, may, you may have actually listened to it with someone talk to you about it. And that's great. But there comes a time when you've actually got to accept it. When you've got to accept it and say, Jesus is Lord and I put my faith in him. Okay. Now, we may not want to accept it. There are various reasons why people may do this. In my experience, the number one reason I have found from people is that they're not prepared to change. That's the number one reason. All, there may be other types of reasons, but today I just want to focus on one, and that is if I make God Lord of my life, if I accept what God is, what is, God is saying, then that means I'm going to have to obey God. And for many people, they're just not prepared to do that. Now, if that's you, we just need to be clear about that that you're not wanting to obey your creator. Okay. God loves us. God has sent his son to die for our sins. There are great reasons to obey our God. There are great reasons. And James says to us here, humbly accept the word 
that's been planted in you. Now, the second part of the uh, of this is to uh, is an is an encouragement. <coughs> the, the next part is an encouragement to as to why we should do this. Look at verse twenty two to twenty five. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed if in whatever he does. So here is James telling us that we need to be listening to the word of God and looking intently into it. And so I just want to bring out the point here today. Do you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible? Have you read the whole Bible? Do you make time during the week to systematically read your way through the scriptures because you need to be. We're meant to be looking intently into the word of God. It's meant to be part of your daily routine. So for me, I read two chapters of the Bible, Monday to Friday. Uh, Saturday I have off because I like to get out early and go for a run or do something else. So I have one day where I'm off. Sunday I'm at church, so I, should, I better be hearing the Bible there. So for me, it's a Monday to Friday, my own personal devotions of prayer and Bible reading. Uh, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but w w you need to do that. You need to be looking intently into the word of God and seeking to understand and grow in your knowledge of God's word. Now, he, he gives this illustration of the mirror and he's saying, you know, that the man who looks into the mirror and, and then doesn't do it... He, the man who looks into the Bible and then doesn't do it is like a man who looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, I think what he's saying is that when you look at a mirror, you see what, what you look like. You see what you look like. And the Bible is what you're meant to look like. The Bible is what you're meant to do. You're meant to read it. You're meant to hear the gospel. And that's what you're meant to do. And, and, and I think this is what he means by the, the mirror illustration. So when I see the teaching of Jesus, this is what I'm meant to be like. And so it's ridiculous to, to look at the Bible and go, this is what I'm meant to be like, and then to go away and, and not do that. He says you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself if you think you can look at the scriptures and then just not put into practice what it says. Um, I've got a, a Bible reading chart here. Now, I, I've just printed out some of these. This is what I use for myself. Uh, it's just every book in the Bible, and I put the month and the year when I have read that book. And it just gives me a, a, a record of where I've been, where I've been up to. If you want something like this, then come and see me afterwards, and I'll give you one of those charts if you're having difficulty having regular Bible reading. This, uh, a great way of doing it is to see where you've been and to keep a record. So I, I, I want you to be looking intently into the word of God. Now, he finishes up and we'll spend the last sort of uh, 11 or so minutes looking at what it is we're meant to be doing as Christians. So the, the first half of this section has been listen to the word of God, listen to each other, listen to the word of God. Don't deceive yourself. You know, when you hear the word of God, you're meant to be doing it. 
He now then moves on to four areas, and we will briefly look at each of these. The first is in verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, the scriptures speak at length about how we use our tongue. In the book of Proverbs, uh, Jesus speaks about from the heart the mouth speaks. Uh, the apostle Paul speaks about the, the, the way that we speak. And so this is a really important part of living the Christian life, being careful about the words you say. Words are powerful. Words can hurt people. So we need to be very careful about how we speak. The Bible speaks directly about swearing. And we're not to be people who curse and use foul language, just not Christian. Just not Christian to go using foul language. We're not to be given to gossip. Gossiping is just not Christian. We're not to be slandering people. Whether it's publicly or privately, we're to be careful on how we use our tongue. And again, if there's someone that you trust and can confide in, you can ask them and say, how do I use my tongue? What's my speech like? Give someone permission to correct you. Because maybe you're speaking in ways that are inappropriate and no one's really brought it up with you before. But again, I need to, to push through because we've got four of these points. The next point is verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so we see here that we need to help widows and orphans. We, we could expand this to those in need, but we'll just stick with the widows and orphans to start off with. We need to do this, firstly, within our church. Right? The rest of the New Testament makes it clear that within our church, we're to be looking after those who, in this case, no longer have a family who can look after them. This can often happen with widows, not just through the death of a spouse, a widow or a widower, um, not just through the death of the spouse, but also through divorce. Unfortunately, I've got three uh, female friends who have been deserted by their husbands. And it's a really difficult thing for those women. Uh, that Those men have gone off with other women and the woman has been left to raise the children and, and, and it's been a very difficult situation for her. And uh, she's on her own. And so we actually need to, to think about how we help people. Again, we can help those outside the church and that's great. But I want to say... The first port of call is within our own community here to make sure we're looking after the, the, the widows and the children who, who, who don't have that full family connection anymore. That's something that we can do individually as we, as we know each other individually within the church. So if you, if you know someone in that situation, um, think about how you can carefully help that person. If you're, a, if you're a man, you want to be careful about helping a widow because your wife, there's, there's issues there. You, you've got to be careful how you help um, uh, another woman. But 
it, it's something you, you need to think about as, as, a, as a church, as individuals. We need to be helping those who don't have the, the, the family support that we may have within our family. He speaks in the, in the second part of verse 27 about keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. And, and this is, it's almost a similar idea to verse 21 where he says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And when you hear that, it, you know, it sounds very harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> the evil that is so prevalent. Get rid of the moral filth, or some translations will say the moral pollution. Um, in fact, that's what it says in the NIV down in verse 27. And keep oneself from being polluted in the world. We need to take that seriously. We actually need to take that seriously. Because the world is morally corrupt. The world is polluted. We're familiar with pollution and not putting too much carbon into the atmosphere. And there's, I lament just the amount of plastic I see in the ocean, just ruining the oceans. I mean, it's a terrible thing. But there's moral pollution in our world as well. For us in the West, since the 1960s, you've had what's called the sexual revolution, where the morality of our nation, of the Western world, has been radically and deliberately changed. Those people in the media and the entertainment industry have gone out of their ways to change the morality and to bring about a new morality in our culture. And it's been a direct rejection of Christian morality. Now, you must not be deceived about this. You must not be naive about it. You must not be naive. Since the 1960s, since the sexual revolution, uh, for, for those of you who are older, you, you can tell the youth the amount of swearing now has just gone completely... Public swearing in, in the entertainment is completely different to what it was before. Now you can basically say almost anything at any time. Right, so we, 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 we're foul of mouth. Uh, it, we've got this love-hate thing with, with drugs where, oh, no, we don't want to go taking drugs and drunkenness, but yet it's celebrated in so many ways. We actually celebrate drug use and uh, alcohol and all this stuff. You know, we celebrate it while we say, oh, no, no, it's not good, but we, we celebrate it. And, of course, uh, w with sexual uh, behaviour, that's been completely... Uh, overhauled, completely changed, deliberately uh, reinvented. Now, uh, it's been interesting. I was looking at some articles on Netflix, and Netflix actually has a quota that they have to give in their series that they that they make to represent all different sexual views. So they've actually got quotas for this. I was watching one of my favourite series on Netflix, uh, Cobra Kai, for those who know, it's a martial arts one. And uh, it just had two women kissing in it. It had nothing to do with the story at all. But it's part of the quota. It's just part of the quota. So you've actually got to have this in there. And you see, because what does James say? He says, look intently into the word of God. How many hours a day are we looking into the word of God? Not for hours. But how many hours a day are we looking into the morality of the ABC, the morality of Netflix, 
the morality of the entertainment industry. Right? We mustn't be naive. The world around us has... Is, okay, here's my basic statement that I've got here. The world around you, the ABC and Netflix, are not there to encourage you to be Christian. I never come away from watching the, the ABC and going, they've really encouraged me to live as a Christian. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite. In programs like Compass, particularly in the 80s and 90s, the only people that the ABC would get on would be the rank, unbelieving bishop. Bishop, people like John Shelby Spong, and those, those of you who are younger, you wouldn't even know him, and he would get on and he would just berate and belittle Orthodox Christianity. And that was the standard food of the ABC and, and other channels. So we mustn't be naive about this because we're looking intently into our screens, aren't we? We're looking intently into these screens and they are not Christian. That's why James says, be careful about the pollution of the world. I'm running out of time, so I better keep going. He then moves on. He says, my brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good suit for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So here we see the practical application of the gospel. You see, God accepts us regardless of who we are. God accepts us regardless of who we are. Whether you've sinned a lot or you've sinned a little, We've all sinned, but God accepts all of us. And that is to reflect how we live. We're to live by the gospel. And so if someone is rich and they come in, it's easy to go, well, there's someone rich. Look at the car they drive. I want to, I want to be around them. <laughs> it's nice to be around them. But James is saying to us, no, no, no. Don't go distinguishing between people. Don't, don't go judging between people like that. Accept all people in the same way that God has accepted you. God didn't accept you because you were rich and impressive. You're poor. You don't have anything before God and God accepted you. He talks about how the rich, uh, the, the, the poor are chosen by God, that they're rich in faith and they will inherit the kingdom of God and they're loved by God. And maybe this is you. Maybe you struggle and you don't have enough money, that things are tight for you. You need to remember that God loves you, that if, you've, if your faith is in God, you are chosen by God and you are impressive. If you are poor, you are impressive in God's sight. For those of us who are rich, we're not to be fooled by our riches. Uh, he talks here in verse 6 and 7 about uh, it's the rich who exploit you and they drag you into court. And again, how they blaspheme the name of Jesus. And if he's speaking about the synagogue, it might, it might be people who don't accept Jesus and, uh, and, and, and they're rich and they're blaspheming Jesus' name. But this is what we find, that the, the rich have this entitlement that comes with them. They think that they deserve certain positions. They deserve to be the treasurer of the church. They deserve to be making decisions within the church. You don't deserve anything if you're rich. 
You have no special place than anyone else. We're all equal through the gospel. And so as Christians, we're not to go showing favouritism to the rich or to the poor. I'll just finish up very quickly now. James takes us back to the gospel. He takes us back to the gospel. He says, um, if you really keep the, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you do right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a law keeper. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a lawbreaker. You see, James is saying exactly the same message as Paul here, isn't he? That we can't keep the law. Sometimes people put Paul and James opposed to each other, but they actually teach exactly the same thing. James is saying here, you, you can't keep the law. If you don't break this part, but sorry, you, you keep this part, but you break that part, you've still broken it. It's exactly what Paul says in Galatians. And so he's saying, look, none of us can keep the law. None of us can keep the law. We need to remember the gospel and we're to live by the gospel. And so he finishes in verse 12 by saying, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's James's way of talking about the gospel, the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here we see today the authentic Christian life. The authentic Christian life. What is it? We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. We're to listen to the word of God and accept it. And we're to live by what we hear there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this Apostle James. Thank you for the message that he gave us and how it speaks to every generation and it speaks to us today. Father, please help us to listen, to accept and to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.